Thanks for tuning in to Best Show Ever, a podcast presented by The Ingler. In this week's episode, we're getting a little bit witchy. As in, we're talking about Witching Hour, which happens next week, so go get your tickets. We'll talk with Ingler Executive Director Andre Perry about what we can expect from this year's festival production. Then we'll welcome a few of our friends and festival co-presenters from Little Village. First, a conversation with publisher Matt Steele. Then followed by arts editor Genevieve Trainer with her best show ever. But first, here's a word from our sponsors. For your investment and financial planning needs, Ross and Ryland DeLavoy of MidAmerica Securities Management are here to help. You can find Ross and Ryland at the Chauncey Building in downtown Iowa City. They can also be found online at midamericasecurities.com or by calling 319-337-9842 for more information. Securities and advisory services offered through Nations Financial Group, member FINRA slash SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Witching Hour Festival, produced by the Engler and Little Village, returns virtually on October 30th and 31st. Witching Hour Festival is a celebration of art that lights our path and an examination of the creativity, the strength, and the tools we need to build a tenable future. Don't miss performances and presentations from Dana Smith, Beatrice Thomas, Dawson Davenport, Tamika Cage Conley, Stacey Walker, Heavy Color, and Black Belt Eagle Scout. More at witchinghourfestival.com. Andre, as this podcast premieres, we are one week out from Witching Hour, and we want to ask some questions about what it's going to be looking like this year. So my first question, how was it decided that um, the festival would be a fully produced versus strictly live event this year? Yeah, well, I think from the perspective of whether or not we were going to have an in-person event, that was a pretty easy Mm -hmm. decision. You know, we're just not at the point from a health perspective where we can have the kind of intimate festival with people squeezed into small rooms and small spaces interacting with each other. We're just just not there. So that was a pretty straightforward and easy decision. What I think Mm -hmm. is maybe a bigger distinction is that we as we, you know, it's, it's being broadcast and it's going quote unquote live on October 30th and 31st. Uh, but we have decided to pre-produce all of the content, or I think you're seeing some other festival events or special events live stream. Uh, we just had some deep conversations about how we thought we could produce a, an event that I think was like closer to the spirit of witching hour and from a quality perspective would end up being uh more revelatory than just you know just having it all be um i guess live streamed and you know that's that's not to be against live streams it's just i think this is what's what was right for witching hour in this time what we are launching for the festival will be a curated sequence a mixtape of the content that has been produced specifically for Witching Hour. And there are a lot of different sources producing. We have community members who produce their own videos in response to our call for submissions. We have artists and thinkers based in the Iowa City area and across the state of Iowa who we worked with to develop and produce submissions. And then we have folks who are far away, artists and other thinkers 
who produced work. And in some cases, we were producing with remote studios um, in different states uh, to safely capture the content that people were working on. And all of that has been curated to have really a series of peaks and valleys across each of the festival nights. So we're really trying to not mimic, but find another way of accessing those emotional and intellectual moments you would have during witching hour usually. Can can you have them while watching, you know, this thing that we're basically like creating our own like Netflix series for, you know? Mm, so yeah. um, that's, that's how it's going to roll out. As for the life of the videos that happen post that, you know, we have a lot of people who submitted, I think, more content than we're actually going to use for the broadcast. And we're going to develop kind of hopefully a rollout pattern of some of those extra things um, that maybe people didn't see. So there will be, I think, some rolling content coming from Witching Hour post-festival, maybe a couple of repeats of things that happened in the festival, as well as some B-sides and outtakes that did not make it. Cool. I do want to ask you about the lineup for this year, but first I want to talk about the idea, the driving idea behind this year's festival. Um, last year, uh, the motif was exploring the unknown, discussing creative process and presenting new work. This year, it's shifted more to a volume of poignant statements about the creativity, the strength and the tools we need to build a tenable future. Can you talk about that idea and how the goal of this festival has shifted? I think as we're entering this year, because like it's always evolving, we're trying to figure out what it is. Um, I think we've come to grips that what this festival is trying to do in this current moment is to be a platform for artists, for arts workers, for curious minds. And what those folks are trying to do is, is unravel the subtext of who we are, meaning our culture, and also to think about how we might design who we're going to be in the future. And so it's really about like just, just considering what moment are we in, in this case, in America, and what might a more, you know, grand or even more beautiful vision of America look like for tomorrow? And how do we approach that as thinkers, as artists, as people who work in the arts or in community building? So that's the core that I think is just like always going to be within Witching Hour. And in this particular year, I think we put a little bit more pressure on, you know, what people see as like the maybe the guiding lights, especially for the future when coming out of a very disruptive year and disruptive because we're in the midst of a pandemic, which has a lot of economic and health ramifications for Americans and citizens around the world. But it's also further revealing these ongoing disru disruptions, particularly in American system, systemic disruptions that have been occurring for people where systems just haven't maybe been serving everyone as positively and as supportive as they can be. And so it's like really accelerated um, maybe our understanding collectively of maybe where we're broken and how broken parts of our American body might be. So how come witching hour help us think about that future a little bit? Um, I think that's what's really driving what's going on for this year's festival in 2020. With that idea, how did you go about programming and finding the talent for this year's festival? And can you talk a little bit about who will be presenting? 
Yeah. So the the program is really split between two sources. We actively went out and uh, brought the proposition that I just talked about about like you know who are we and where are we going you know to a number of artists and 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 just thinkers at large out there and just invited people to see if they wanted to use the platform to to say or show or express something that's on their minds related to it. Um, mm. And then on the flip side, we also took that question to just community members at large and in the Iowa City, Cedar Rapids area and just said, hey, just send us your your visions, whether they're like really straightforward and I understand everything you're saying, or they're more conceptual or theoretical. And we got an amazing amount of submissions from the community at just such high quality um, Mm -hmm. in terms of the thought and the art and the just like spirit that was, that was connected to these submissions. I'm super excited to see all of these incredible artists and thinkers and what their vision for the future is. I am, and I'm also excited to see what the community has brought to the table because I've seen a couple submissions from friends who sort of showed me what they did. And it was nice to have that prompt as well for like just people in our community to be like, oh, how could I contribute to this? So love that as well. Um, well, Andre, thank you so much for taking the time to talk again. And I know we're all excited to see how Witching Hour looks this year. So Awesome. Perfect. Thanks for taking a minute. Uh Let's let's just lose our minds. Let's at least lose them for two days and oh, hopefully we can build something yes. out of it. Yes, say no more. Matt Steele is publisher of Little Village, an independent news and entertainment magazine based in Iowa City. He was also on the original team that made the first ever Witching Hour possible and has been a part of the festival ever since. Matt, it's so good to virtually meet you. I'm surprised this is our first meeting. I mean, I'm just honored to be here with uh, with Ellie H., one of my favorite, (laughs) truly one of my favorite singers. You're hamming me up. I appreciate that. So you've been with Little Village for a long time, um, and I had a lot of fun reading about your history with the magazine. A lot of stuff I didn't even realize, a lot of names that I recognize that are out doing different things in the community now. So that's really cool. But over 10 years ago, you got on board. And at that point, the main challenge was keeping it alive, especially after the predecessor icon had folded but you and the OG team were selling T-shirts at Hubbard Park, putting on shows at Gabe's, keeping it alive. But now I'm wondering, how does this challenge of the pandemic uh, compare to getting it up and running? And what has it meant for Little Village to exist during a pandemic? Yeah, it's probably a really good comparison because when we were getting Little Village up and running, like you said, it was like, 
from the ashes of something that had come before and had seen some success. Icon was pretty well uh, loved throughout the 90s. And when they reached what they thought was the successful point of having a regional larger publishing group kind of bring them into the fold uh, as, a, you know, you call it a buyout at the time. It was, uh, you know, more like sort of joining a publishing uh, conglomerate, which um, I think now we have a more negative view of. But at that time, it seemed like mm -hmm. a good, you know, empowering kind of alliance that they were building. But it crumbled in the space of weeks and mm -hmm. um you know they lost their paper they had to rebuild under a new name with new equipment and fortunately some of the same people were willing to stick around and just get it up and going um and then a new generation sort of was inspired by that to 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 really chip in and like you said raise funds do whatever it took to keep on printing another issue when the pandemic hit it it felt a little bit like that you know whatever we were doing before it felt like there was a real chance we wouldn't be able to lean on it anymore we wouldn't be able to continue in that same way and we might have to reimagine what we are, you know, mm -hmm. just on a fundamental level, we're so um, for, I mean, as physical media, you know, what is the place of physical media in this new world? So much of our content is around getting people together for concerts, mm -hmm. for, you know, dining uh, and, and in, re in turn, our advertising as well. Um, so if all of those industries that are about gathering are disrupted, completely mm -hmm. then what does that mean for you know all of the ancillary industries like like perhaps like us <clears throat> fortunately at that moment there was a great need for information uh there yep. was a lot of confusion and you know while we did sort of feel like we were seeing a big train barreling down the tracks as we weren't sure what to do we had to jump off the tracks a little bit and you know jump on with like with furloughs for some of those those state supported federally supported unemployment benefits like just like okay that's a that's a sure thing we know we have access to right now so let's just like let's just not miss that and then as far as like staff we kept on just our core news team so we could really just keep a light on for the community uh, with the very important, you know, daily updates about how infections were going and what the mm -hmm. latest was on testing and what our like local and statewide strategy was. So there was a lot to report. Our readership, you know, actually increased during that time period because of that that reporting we got a couple of grants to help support that reporting and it, it bought us a little bit of time i mean it was great to be needed and to have something to focus our energy on while on the kind of like on my like more administrative side i was like okay what are we gonna do um who, yeah. you know what's our product and um like so many things in the pandemic i've heard it said that it was um it didn't it, it was more of an accelerant than it was like a true like full on change agent. It was, you know, things that were already kind of in the tea leaves just started happening really fast. I pre pandemic typically engaged more with just the arts uh, coverage of Little Village. I've always loved that part and seeing local artists being showcased. But as of late, it's been a lot more of that, you know, the news, the what's what's going on pandemic wise in Iowa City, like the really refined Johnson County specific information that I felt like all of us have been needing to know. And like that little village was the place to turn. So I feel like I do have a new 
uh, appreciation for local media beyond just the arts where I usually tend to go. Yeah. Um, it was definitely a reality check. Just, you know, just there's so much, um, so much negative, uh, uh, static about like, you know, fake news or whatever, like, you know, media is just about clicks, et cetera. And then something like this happens where like, you know, you really like are trying to figure something out, uh, for your kids, people, have, yeah. you know, parents that have kids trying to figure out school and trying to understand like how much local authority they could have to make decisions that make sense for their community. Switching gears a little bit. I want to talk to you about witching hour. Um, Little Village has been a part of Mission Creek or a sponsor of Mission Creek for a long, long time. Um, but now we're looking at the sixth year of Witching Hour, which was conceptualized, created, co-presented by the Englert and Little Village teams. Um, and I'm curious, what were some of the values of Little Village that you were trying to emulate in this new in this festival when you were having those first conversations? So one of the festivals that immediately jumped to mind for me when, when Andre started talking about this idea was <clears throat> a festival that pu Public Space One had put on a previously called the Works, Works Progress or Works in Progress Festival that was like unfinished work. You know, uh, mm -hmm. it was all, it was all geared around just like really creative process discussion. I thought it helped me as an artist to be at events like that in a way more than seeing the finished piece. Mm -hmm. So I was really drawn to, uh, to the creative process part of witching hour, which I thought just had it standing in contrast to, to the other things that were out there. It drew on this wonderful experience I had had previously through public space one. Uh, and it seemed like a chance to bring that back as a very, useful time for people in the creative community. I think it's a, a, a productive mindset for a festival, just as it's a productive mindset for journalism to, you mm -hmm. know, to, to kind of be looking at process and uh, kind of look at, looking at people who are trying to, trying to solve things, but not only the ones who have already, but who are kind of in, in that process and, um, what's going on now, you know? I, uh, especially last year when I was there, I was thinking a lot about the ways that the festival brings people who maybe don't identify as creative or like their professions aren't considered creative, bringing those people into the folds of creativity and exploration and like how those things can be used. Like, there was a, an environmental science, you know, lecture and a lecture about it, it's not all just mm -hmm. about arts specific visual arts, you know, it's about the process of many things doing yoga, like self exploration, lots of different components there. So I do think it is like a lot of pushing creatives further, but also bringing more people into the conversation, which I love. Um, and Witching Hour also has a, a certain structure to it. I don't know if you want to talk about that. That's maybe different from what you would typically think of with like a festival, a music festival. Right. The combination of presentation and workshop and discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Right. Uh, we, yeah, programmatically, um, always try to strike that balance. Um, I, I mentioned presentation, workshops, discussion, um, and then you might say a fourth, which is like production, like art, like we, we kind of want witching hour weekend to, to have like an art production component as well. <laughs> like, um, that there's in the first year, I think it was the first year we kind of came away with like a, um, well, we had a uh, Paintalica, uh, at the old film scene. Paintalica is like a, a, a performance painting and sculptural group. Um, but, but somebody like filmed it and it was a female filmmaker. Um, uh, and, and, and she put together like a short film of, of, of the, of Paintalica at Witching Hour, you know? So like we kind of came away with like, yeah. you know, a, 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 an original work, um, that, that comprised sculpture, painting, performance, uh, filmmaking, mm -hmm. uh, and like community talk back as well. Um, so, so yeah, all those things in the structure, uh, very interdisciplinary as far as trying to give you presentations that are going to touch on pressing issues in the world, uh, whether they're scientific or economic, um, political, social, we try to pair those with a workshop of some kind that you could engage with and kind of um, figure out how to apply that knowledge from the presentation to your personal work. Um, and on that note of sort of who's a creative, uh, one of the things that also inspired me, um, aside from works in progress, that was pre-witching hour was when uh, Jad Abumrad from Radiolab gave a lecture at the Englert. Um, mm. and he, uh, he talked about, um, he talked about what he calls like the, the dark German forest of creativity, uh, like uh, almost like a fairy tale, you know, like Hansel and Gretel or something like that, yeah. um, where you sort of enter into a creative project and you start in a direction. And then at some point you realize you're totally lost. Uh, and like the sun has gone down and like now the trees are talking to you and you don't know <laughs> where your family has gone and like if you're ever going to see them again. Oh, wait. <laughs> I don't know what art is like for you, but. <laughs> um, gradually the, the sun kind of starts to come up again or like you start to, you start to piece together your path. Um, and then you exit the forest and like, maybe you exit the forest in like a totally different place from where you entered it. You have to go mm -hmm. in it and you have to go through it. Um, and it's just kind of it's like the way it is. And so I think of witching hours kind of being like a coping mechanism for, for being in that, in that forest, uh, mm -hmm. and, and having, uh, you know, maybe a lot of fear, <laughs> um, at least some confusion, um, you know, maybe some like self-loathing, trying to figure out like why you let yourself get yourself in the situation <laughs> where now you have to find your way out of this song that you're writing. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's the thing. Like you go, you start in a direction, you get lost, you look for clues and then you, you know, you find your way out of it and you, you know, you, you wish you could take credit for the idea that you walked away with. Um, but really it was the process that helped you find it. I always think of that with witching hour. I love that. Yeah. And thinking consciously about the creative process, I feel like 
gets lost a lot of times. So like going in and knowing that that's, you know, you're exploring, that's what you're doing. We're online this year and I don't know, what are you hoping people are going to get out of the best, the festival this year? I think, I think, I, I hope that, I hope they feel like they experience something together in a way, um, whether they watch it in real time or not. Um, mm-hmm. It, I, there's a really wonderful, uh, community thread that'll pass through witching hour and tie together, you know, some of our prominent local voices with mm-hmm. people on a more national or international scale. Um, as as part of one dialogue um there's so much isolation and there's like everyone's going through kind of the same thing but they're going mm-hmm. through it in very individualized ways and it's like challenging for people in very personal ways um that like you know maybe like the same kind of circumstance was created that's like obviously challenging in some of the same ways but then it's everyone's individual situation that really um you know, makes for the, makes for their own special little pandemic. Right. Um, but you know, whether it's their, you know, we make a little book, it's called special little pandemic. It's going to be yeah. like a pandemic. It's, it's like your little thumbprint, your thumb buddy special. You got your own little, <laughs> you got your own <clears throat> special combination of challenges. Right on. Well, Matt, we appreciate you. We appreciate all the hard work everyone at Little Village is doing. Thanks for taking some time to talk with us today. Of course. We're Thank you, Ellie. jacked Honor. for witching out. <laughs> yes. <go>. Yes. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you. Coming up next, we'll be talking best show ever with Little Village arts editor Genevieve Trainer. But first, here's a word from our sponsors. Support comes from Best Case Wines, your Iowa City-based importer and distributor of wines from small family wineries in France, Portugal, Oregon, and California. Focusing on wines that offer an authentic sense of where they're grown while enhancing the pleasure of your daily table. Best Case Wines, making sure your glass is always half full. Look for us at area retailers and restaurants and find us on Facebook. Genevieve Trainer is the arts editor at Little Village Magazine, content marketing specialist at Bankers Advertising Company, and serves on the board at Public Space One. She's also a valued member of the Witching Hour Festival team. Genevieve, thank you so much for being here with us today. Excited to chat a little. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so first question is a big one. What is it like being an arts reporter in 2020? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is, uh, it's very creative. Um, <laughs> it's actually really fascinating and inspiring to see the different ways that artists are making art happen despite all of the trials and tribulations against them. It's really it's, it's always been, I guess, part of my own artistic philosophy that restrictions drive creativity. You know, if, like I, I write poetry sometimes and if I'm in a real funk and I can't write anything, I just pick like a, a random form. I'll say like, I'm just going to write five sonnets, you know, and like the mm. arbitrary restrictions of the form help push past that block 
And Mm -hmm. from some of the really amazing art that I'm seeing coming out of this time, I think that people, I mean, it's certainly not a good thing, but I think that people are having that same experience that they're finding that these restrictions are cracking something open inside of them. I've always thought the same thing, like having a challenge or having a prompt or having restrictions that you have to work inside of just push you to to go beyond them. So I think you're totally right. And you've been doing a lot of reporting still of local art happenings, artists around town. Have there been any specific stories or patterns that have come up that have really like extra warmed your heart or made you feel good about things? There is a whole lot of theater happening, and uh, I'm friends with a lot of theater people. I, When I first started at Little Village, it was uh, covering theater, so that's sort of where a lot of my background is, and I haven't had the time myself, but like everyone is just falling over themselves to create theater. They're doing readings, they're doing unofficial readings, they're doing readings of new work. It's really phenomenal to see people who who might not even otherwise have the opportunity to get involved in the theater scene around here just coming together because they're so desperate for that opportunity for that output and it's all organic like there's been at least three or four different groups that have arisen that I know of. And, and a lot of them I can't even really report on because they're not doing public readings because it's just, you know, it's, it's copyrighted material. It's not something that they're performing, but they're just getting together oh. over Zoom to read it together just for fun, mm. just because they need that outlet. And it's just really beautiful to see so much of it happening. It's overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I think a lot of times I, at least I personally like I'm just focused on the output or, you know, what what people in the community are showing us, but just using theater art as a way to keep that community together. And I'm sure like this group of these groups of people are used to being around each other all the time. So it's sort of something that was needed to keep them in touch, just to keep reading, practicing. That's awesome. Very cool. So part of this year's Witching Hour prompt or mission statement sort of thing, the thing to think about, is using the moment of this pandemic to envision a brighter future. And I'm kind of curious if in some way the pandemic has taught you anything about what you'd like the future to look like for yourself or for your community or for art in Iowa City, if you have any musings on that at all. Sure. I find that the thing I keep coming back to is that I don't want to go back to normal. A lot of people Mm -hmm. are like craving that return to normalcy. And I'm like, I want to push past that. I think that there's so much greater that we can do. And I think that the world can be better in the future based on what we've learned. In just a pragmatic sense, there's so many things happening that should have been happening decades ago in terms of access and in terms of Mm. um, like people who, who can't travel are suddenly able to go to conferences because they're online now. And um, just in, in general access to the arts, especially has 
exploded, we're realizing the abilities that we have, even on a personal level. Like I went to a Zoom birthday party for a friend that I haven't seen in a decade in Virginia. And mm. I, you know, I wouldn't never, it would never even have crossed my mind. I'm certainly not going to fly to Virginia for her birthday. And I would never have had a chance to be included in that if we weren't doing everything over Zoom because all the other people would have just gone out together to a restaurant, <laughs> you know, and I think that that we're becoming smaller as a community and as a country because we have this ability to connect to each other in ways that we just sort of glossed over before. That has definitely been in this podcast too, a recurring theme of a lot of the people we're interviewing are are noting that while doing everything online is not totally ideal, the access to people has been a huge plus. So I did get to get the inside scoop of Genevieve's best show ever. I do know who it is. And, you know, there we've done a lot of these interviews and a lot of them I do. You know, I listen, I hear about these artists and then, you know, I'll add them to my Spotify playlist. I'll watch some videos and be like, oh, these people are great. This one, I went and I watched one video and I went straight to Bandcamp and I bought a vinyl. I was like, yup, this is the money. This is the money right here. Just to uh, set that up for how excited I am to talk about this. So please tell us about that fateful day on 2016. Tell us about the show. Walk us through the experience. All right. Well, this was during Mission Creek Festival in 2016. And it was, I don't think it was the first Mission Creek Festival show I had ever been to. I had been to scattered shows uh, in previous years, but this was the first time that I was like doing the festival. And I wandered down to the basement of the Yacht Club, which has since become probably my favorite venue. I don't know if it's a programming thing or if it's just the atmosphere, but it seems like all the best shows end up being there. And I had never heard of Yonatan Gat before, but I knew very shortly <laughs> that it was going to be amazing. And it was one of those like night ending performances where you're you're tired and you're you're worn out, but the music just makes you keep going. And it was this, mm. this atmosphere in the room was so communal, was so like, it, it mm. felt like, like we were all above the space, like unified in a, in a halo around him, <laughs> you know, oh. and he was like down off the stage and, and just, it was just wild. It was immersive for sure. It was a gorgeous mm. show. And how would you describe the the kind of music, like the genre? I mean, experimental and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's the kind of music that you live in, not that you talk about. And that's really <laughs> obnoxious Ooh. for me to say as someone who writes about music. I'm not allowed <laughs> to say that. But <laughs> no, that's how you know it's the real deal. That's right. how you know. <laughs> And yeah, I think this, I guess, I don't know if his, if the dude's name is Yoritan Gat or if that's just the name of the band, but yeah, I saw he was like voted best guitar player in New York 
in 2013 does a lot of has a lot of like world music influences influences mm-hmm. from other cultures which I see how that comes into the experimental part yeah absolutely I'm not surprised that he would be voted best of anything he's definitely it, it was great that he was down in the crowd because it's phenomenal to watch him play <laughs> it's just a, mm. a master at work for sure Hmm. And was the place like packed or was it kind of like a more intimate group was, of Mission Creekers at the end of the night? It was pretty packed. Whoa. I mean, it wasn't wall to wall. I don't think I, it's hard to say because I, it was so, I, I don't think I noticed the other people for a while, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> one of those things where the lights come back on and you're like, Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> just so immersed so in the zone I think when I think about it too like the very the end of the day of the Mission Creek I just watched Little Village's profile of Closet Witch and one of the band members was talking about how playing it how playing music is like you get a runner's high where you're just like so deliriously exhausted that you just like sort of like transcend and that's how I see like this crowd of people like so exhausted and like has whole all this information and inspiration coming at them all day and then bam at the end of the day it was just elevated absolutely and it was actually to to tie it back to witching hour uh, it was actually after that show that night that matt Steele came up to me and i had just started working at little village the, mm. that winter of 2015 and he came up to me after that show and was like oh i've been you know meaning to ask you would you like to sit on the witching hour committee for this fall? And oh like, my God. You not have picked a better time because I was like, I will do fucking anything to make sure that this keeps happening in this city. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, hell yeah. <laughs> you just ride that energy high into the next project. Yep. That's beautiful. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing Yodaton Gat with me if I'm saying that right because my vinyl's coming in the mail. I'm so excited. Probably my favorite. I wouldn't even. It's not a recommendation, but I'm considering it a recommendation <laughs> uh, 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 thus far on the podcast. And thank you for taking some time to talk with us. We're so excited for Witching Hour. Is there a certain artist or performance you're looking forward to hearing? I'm definitely looking forward to Black Belt Eagle Scout, who was supposed oh, to be yes. here for Mission Creek in the spring, and of course that blew up. So uh, right. I think it's really thrilling that that's happening now. Okay, Genevieve. Well, thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you. Our song of the week comes from Southeast Iowa's Closet Witch. First released on their EP Four-Way Split in April, Solar Lullaby also appears on New Roots Grow, a benefit compilation for Cedar Rapids and Iowa City derecho storm relief, compiled by Chicago-based donation portal Money Tapes. You can find more music from Closet Witch at closetwitch.bandcamp.com and more information about Money Tapes at moneytapes.bandcamp.com. Here it is, Solar Lullaby.
This episode is brought to you in part by Taxes Plus. Tax season comes and goes, but Taxes Plus does so much more. They offer bookkeeping and payroll services for small businesses and tax preparation for partnerships, corporations, and trusts. Their small and dedicated team is proud to stay on the leading edge of ever-changing tax laws. Bring your questions to their seasoned team members and expect a warm and informed response. Learn more at taxesplusiowacity.com. Support for this podcast comes from Friends of the Inglert. To learn more, visit inglert.org friends. Ongoing support provided by the National Endowment for the Arts and the Iowa Arts Council, a division of the Iowa Department of Cultural Affairs, and by the United States Regional Arts Resilience Fund. Phase One is an initiative of Arts Midwest and its peer United States Regional Arts Organizations, made possible by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation.